Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 77. This episode is the third part in my series of death metal forgotten gems. The It's a title I'm lamenting more and more. I, I think it's probably a poor phrasing. Essentially what I'm getting at with this is it's a series of albums, demos and EPs that I think are really decent but you possibly hear mentioned less or at least I, I don't hear brought up as often as I think they deserve. They're, they might be more well-known. There's a good chance you would have heard of a lot of these, but I, I want to cover them because I, I don't often hear them talked about in any detail. With the previous episodes in this series, I went very much chronologically between the albums. In this one, I'm planning to sort of mix things, mix the order up a little, just clump together albums of similar theme together rather than going year to year. So the first band I want to cover today are the short-lived but kind of legendary Crematory from uh, Stockholm, Sweden. They're one of that sort of brand of bands I think has got a lot more attention since the release of Daniel Ekeroff's Swedish death metal book, but I think they had their, certainly had a buzz about them at the time, doing something quite different in the uh, Swedish death metal realm. So these guys, in their entire kind of four-year lifespan, put out four demos in an EP, like the legendary Denial. So where Crematory differ from a lot of your classic um, early Swedish death metal is, these guys had a real focus on really detuning low and getting super brutal. They, they're, I'd say like their first two demos are that kind of thing where they're a bit hard to listen to. I know there's some real fans of uh, the the Exhordium, the second one. First one is not on the, the compilation I've got, although it does feature Chris from Fairy on them vocals. But their third demo, Wrath of the Unknown, is where stuff gets really good. There's this, um, there's like a real focus on the guitar leads on that particular demo. Um, and like what always stands out to me about their stuff is their drummer is uh, like an absolute beast. He plays so, so fast on this stuff. Uh, Mats Nordrup. He like he's always like the star of the show on all their recordings. I would say, but they they have so many great moments in their albums where just everything locks in. Like you get these like super fast tremolo riffs where like the bass is just going, the bass drum is just going along perfectly in sync with the the fast picking, and then it slows down into a more groovy section. They've just like this is just a band that really lock in together. I wonder how much of that is to do with the fact they a single guitar band, so they've got a bass player, and then Urban Skype is the one guitarist, had another one early on, but he never made it to uh, any of their major recordings. They're most known for their EP, Denial, the, the short four-track release that, you know, you now get all the demos as part of the compilation with. And Denial is a really brilliant EP. It's it's far clearer. The, the, the demos are pretty... Well, incredibly muddy. They're a band who focused on really detuning before that was really a thing strings and so on were built to do. So, like, playing with those proper spaghetti strings. Um, and it can make... Like, all the, the demo recordings are quite... Um, quite impenetrable in terms of like actually hearing what's going on the things are really cleaned up for the ep i think they've tuned up a bit higher as well and 
there's just some amazing moments on it as i say um matt's the drummer is the real star of the show like he just straight from the opening track uh into cephalius like he's doing incredible stuff there's this brilliant section in the middle of the song where he does this extended drum fill which is just this super fast snare roll which it, i don't know felt like a slightly like atypical use of um use of like a drum fill or like doing this really drawn out like snare roll over a section where the guitars are building up it just sounded amazing and he, his double kick work for for this point in time is incredibly fast and tight the the guitar work all sounds absolutely amazing like the um urban is a really gifted guitarist and there's some great like fun things thrown in there on the second track uh, chunks of flesh there's this amazing like tapping section where they've like added an organ underneath it just like subtly in the background and it just makes for this incredibly like weird like creepy sound in the midst of this very brutal death metal the vocalist uh stefan harvick is fairly standard death metal fare he's got a bit more of a lower voice in it it certainly does the job for this but he he's definitely not anything to write home about um although interestingly went on to perform with necrophobic for their their debut ep that that that's pretty much his entire entire legacy of metal there's an interesting kind of history around this though as like denial is is a really legendary and well-respected um EP, but the band themselves have always hated it because apparently when they went into studio after the Wrath from the Unknown demo, which they were really happy with, this really nasty, gross detune thing, with actually the best drum sound I think they ever managed to get through throughout all five of their recordings. Um, with Denial, the guy in the studio apparently didn't know what he was doing, um, didn't know like the kind of style they were going for, and really cleaned everything up. The band even tuned up I believe at his request and so the guitars and the riffing suddenly really clear whereas it's quite um, indistinct on Wrath of the Unknown but the album was way more clean than the the band were hoping for. Personally I think it totally works but I can take that they sort of had issue with it. I, I guess the sound isn't perfect actually it's a bit weirdly trebly like you can't hear the kick drums as clearly as you'd heard in the previous demo and there's just like throughout their entire recordings there's no audible bass on anything and sadly the band was quite short-lived because they went on to record a, i believe a full-length album or at least another ep uh the neverworlds of the mind and apparently the studio they went to there just lost it all so they just ended up releasing the, that as a demo um a four-track demo that is just the the completely rough, unmixed version because they didn't have the stem tracks from it, and and sadly that that is where where the band end with a slightly kind of lackluster, messy follow up um, to an amazing amazing first couple of releases. Like yeah, a band with a hell of a lot of potential, but by by late nineteen ninety two, it pretty much fizzled out. Uh, the band then just uh, sort of fell apart with other people getting involved in different projects. Matt Snorderup um, went on to drum for Regurgitate, a famous gore-grind band you may know for their ridiculously titled Carnivorous Erection. His involvement in that band ended up getting him fired from this one, but somehow 
ended up with Urban and Johan, the the guitarist and bass player, joining Regurgitate for a bit. Um, also, both Urban and Matt's um, did some time in uh, general surgery. Matt's interestingly, though, I was saying he really stand out performance on this album. Um, like he's never recorded on a full length album. So he's in general surgery for a bit, but just did a series of demos and split releases. Regurgitate is apparently kicked out of the band before he got past their first couple of splits. And uh, previous to Crematory, he was in uh, Afflicted Convulsion, another like legendary kind of early Swedish death metal band who we'll go on to later, but he wasn't with them for any of their recorded things. So that's kind of a real shame. Whereas um, the kind of the guy of this band that went on to do a lot of stuff is Urban, who um, even had some time in, in NASM. So yeah, like I'd highly advise going out and pick this up if you're um, if you're a fan of that early era of Swedish stuff. It's one of those interesting, like slightly left field ones, like like something like Grave, where it, despite actually with the, the case with this band being based in Stockholm, Sweden, they don't really have the Stockholm sound. They were definitely kind of following their own path. So yeah. Uh, that's crematory denial, and if you get denial now, there's a few things to look out for. There's a really good re-release of it where it's got everything bar the very first demo on it, but apparently there's two versions of it now. I fortunately bought the second version of it, but um, be very careful if you're trying to buy this on CD because apparently the first version is absolutely knackered with the um, the people who did the kind of slight touch-up remaster to it sent the wrong thing to the pressing plant so there's a first version out there that sounds like shit it's got a great booklet but it sounds wrong so yeah make sure you're getting the second pressing if you prick this up and don't confuse them with the uh german crematory the the deaf death metal slash gothic metal slash industrial band who have a much more kind of long-running career Just 
So, just to massively confuse things, the next band we have is yet another 1992 band from Sweden. This is Cemetery with an evil shade of grey. So this is Cemetery, not Crematory. So Cemetery started around a similar time, 1989, um, another death metal four-piece, but this time with um, two guitarists, although vocalist uh, Matthias Lodmalm was also playing lead guitar for this band. Now, this band, um, unlike Crematory, are through and through your traditional Swedish fare. This is, like, their debut album, An Evil Shade of Grey, is well and truly this, like, proper kind of dismember worship and I guess, like, I assume they took influence to, from Dismember. I, like, may, maybe not. Maybe they, they came to this sound sort of organically just through the scene. But th th this album primarily puts me in mind of that first Dismember album. And it's got all the, the classic, um, like, things of the the Swedish scene. It's on Blackmark Productions. It was recorded at... Um, Sunlight Studios, produced and engineered by Thomas Skogsberg, and has a cover by Necrolord, although definitely not some of Necrolord's best work. This cover's pretty awkward looking. Um, but what I really love about this album, and what really kind of stands out about it versus a lot of its contemporaries in that scene, despite, you know, similarities, is it sounds more evil than your average uh, Swedish death metal album. This, this album sounds incredibly dark and foreboding throughout, while still sticking to that formula we're kind of used to. They, they like Even from the, like, the opening track, Dead Red, we have some amazing, particularly the more kind of um, leady, melodic moments are where I really get the Dismember influence. But then they throw in these kind of like slightly... Um, you know, slightly creepy, like, organ and synth sounds in the background. Not too high in the mix that it sounds, like, out of place. Like, they, they fit really nicely. Um, and that edge to it, like, yeah, gives it this this slightly kind of terrifying evil sound. I think actually something is kind of almost more reminiscent of some of the demo-era Swedish stuff, like, kept a bit of that that sort of nastiness and horror alive that some of the other bands like lost as they evolved into full album groups what's interesting though so 1992 there's you know we've had a few of the the classics out by this point like this is like hardly the you know the first swedish death metal album where you know we're after left hand path we're after like an ever flowing stream we're after dark reflections what is odd, because it's at Sunlight Studios as well, is this, there was something wrong with the guitars on this album. Like, I like the only thing that stops it for me being in that kind of pantheon with the true greats is there is something off with the guitar tone. They like whenever they go into these really fast sections, there's like a strange squeak to the guitar when it's being picked really quickly. Now I don't know if that's a flaw in the guitarist's playing or what, but, um, or yeah, like some strangeness of the choice of amp. But it's got a classic buzzsaw guitar tone. This is most definitely like HM2 stuff, but yeah, something is slightly off in the sound of the guitars in this album. Maybe some history to this. Um, frustratingly, uh, my copy of the uh, 
Swedish death metal book I can't find at the moment. I've lent it to someone I can't remember who. So there's probably some great history I could have quoted around this in the previous album that I'll uh, I'll have to leave up to you. Why not buy yourself a copy? It's a great book, and if you enjoy these albums, well worth well worth uh, reading. But yeah, this I don't know why for some reason I had totally missed this album until I think Big Will from uh, Heavy Hole shared it on Facebook the other week, and I. I was just amazed how good it was. It it's really, um, really some spectacular work, and um, and kind of yeah, as I say, barring that annoyance with some of the recording, um, I think it really should be up there as one of the Swedish death metal classics. Now the band went on to have quite a long running career. Um, they put out another five albums after this. Like only finally calling it day with um, Phantasm in uh, two thousand and five. So. I've got some got some digging to do. They they actually put out one album a year uh, for the next three years. So um, yeah, Goddess Beauty, Black Vanity, and then the Sundown EP in in '95, which is yeah, they they were clearly working extremely hard. Now maybe I'm just an idiot for not not being more aware of these guys. I'm starting to feel that. Um, but yeah, so after that. Uh, Matthias Lodman like apparently quit music, uh, well quit uh, metal and became a DJ for a bit, but has since resurfaced with um with a new band, uh, Lords of Saturn, who have put out a single but nothing beyond that. Other than that, not many of the guys from uh, Cemetery ever went on to do a great deal else. Um, as far as I can tell, I think some of their later members might have, but particularly not the guys the guys from this album. So if you can't get enough of the first two Entombed albums or, you know, that early Dismember sound, definitely pick up An Evil Shade of Grey. It's got some it's got some amazing additions to that sound, as I say. It's a bit more kind of creepy and terrifying. And then in later tracks like Nightmare Lake, we get some really interesting introductions of, like, acoustic guitar over heavier, like, extreme metal passages, which... Probably quite a unique idea back in
round things out, I'm going to do one more Swedish death metal album from 1992. Uh, we mentioned this band actually in passing in one of the other ones. This is Afflicted with their debut album, Prodigal Son. So Afflicted were initially known as Afflicted Convulsion, um, who, again, sort of some legendary demo tapes. And these guys did a series of demo tapes before a split like promo for, uh, I believe, Nuclear Blast. Uh, with Hypocrisy and Sinister. I've not heard any of that stuff. I kind of want to go back and check some of that out. But yeah, eventually their debut um, came out of Nuclear Blast. Prodigal Son. Son spelled S-U-N. So very clever. Um, and it's a real... This is yet another really interesting one. Much in the vein of Denial, this is not what you would expect from a Swedish band from Stockholm of this era. Right, whereas Denial went um, into a very proto-brutal death metal vein, Afflicted are channeling kind of a little bit of like atheist sort of energy on this. This is progressive technical death metal um, with a hint of the Swedish sound to it. It was recorded at Sunlight Studios, you know, uh, Thomas Skotsberg worked on this one as well. So, you know, it's got a bit of that to it, but... What we really get here is some immensely more technical, complex, weird stuff than you would expect from your like your standard Swedish fare. The um, this album opens with this Prodigal Son acoustic intro, which is it's quite clever actually because it initially sounds like one of those classic early '90s death metal intros. You're like, oh, that was a fun idea that has nothing to do with the next track, but then harboring the soul, like brings in occasional, like, a, it's a proper death metal trap, but brings in these occasional acoustic flourishes in the vein of the intro, so it, it's sort of oddly related. The thing that struck me straight away about this, and it's, this is you know, always the thing that, that gets me, is they're just absolutely brilliant, really groovy bass work, and that's where I get, like, the atheist vein. It was quite rare for a Swedish death metal band to have that sound where the bass massively strayed from what the guitars were doing. Also to have just such prominence in the mix. Like, the the bass playing on this has this real, like, heft to the tone. Uh, Philip von Segerbeden, um, he... he he has this really, like, really chunky sound, like, quite ahead of its time, I think. Like, this isn't something bands would latch onto for a few years yet. Like, really impressive stuff. The guitars sit more, I think they're HM2, I can never quite tell, like, whether it's that or something similar. But the, the guitars have more of that traditional sound to them. But the mix with that hefty bass and, like, really, um, really solid drum work by Yasim Hilborg, um, there is there is a real like heft to this album and it's great because they go for so many between the more complex technical parts so many big groovy riffs like it's really packed with memorable riffs this album like loads of just great headbanging moments but then they throw in the weird stuff uh, on tracks like tidings from the blue sphere we get like really odd flashes of like classic blues thrown in there uh, which is you know again slightly left field something else i really like about this uh album is uh joachim brom's like vocal performance he has this kind of really bizarre voice he kind of he he doesn't fully guttural scream it's somewhere 
it's somewhere with like a like not even a hint of melody but like he's a very strange delivery that's kind of ever changing and it it's very kind of clear and pronounced and sits like well atop the mix but yeah i really like his his sort of take on death metal vocals which makes it weird they sort of kicked him out of the band for the follow-up i'm not not quite sure what the choice was there but yeah we'll get to that in a bit the lead guitar work on this is brilliant. The solos are absolutely face melting when they go for like metal solos, and as I say, in other places they go for like bizarre blues leads. And then there's even sort of weird like uses of like folk kind of acoustic guitar thrown in. Yeah, really, really interesting all round. Like this was clearly a band operating on an incredibly high level as musicians. Oddly, though, apparently this just didn't connect with people at the time. It wasn't what people wanted from the Swedish sound. Like, if you, you pick up the, the CD now, like, the pressing of it I've got has got a little, like, write-up about it. And it seems, like, really critical of a lot of the death metal out of the time being generic and uh, following trends and so on, which is quite funny. But the band do seem to have been actively... Um, actively trying to distance themselves from that the band photo to go the album features them all wearing these odd like tie-dye like hippie outfits um yeah looking completely out of the norm for for a death metal band the um the the lyrics are far more like philosophical stuff about society it's not it's none of your like zombies and gore and terror themes it yeah, they. This is a band. I, I really like it because with Afflicted Convulsion, they were in more of that classic Swedish mold. I think I really like that they sort of evolved and tried to actively distance themselves for a scene that you know did get a bit oversaturated. There was a lot of bands doing that classic Sunlight Studios sound, and and Afflicted did well to sort of um, attempt to rise above it with something different. Sadly, it didn't work out for them, but. This album's well worth your time. It's about 50 minutes long, and they keep throwing in interesting things. Towards the end of the album, like, stuff starts getting really odd. Tracks like Spirit Spectrum just get quite experimental. There's a whole verse sections in that, which I can't really explain what's happening in them. And then just finishing on the excellent Ivory Tower with some of the most, like, rocking, groovy riffs of the entire album. It's just excellently put together package really cool cover as well again very out of the norm like that cover could be for any genre this like strange sigil on a washed out purple background only thing that lets it down is their logo at the time looks like the worst of like 80s fresh logos but otherwise <laughs> yeah there's a very subtle criticism amazing tone to the album amazingly creative writing <laughs>
So Afflicted then did something really odd. Uh, they kicked out their vocalist and replaced him with Michael Vandergraaff, a guy primarily a clean singer, and recorded their follow-up album in 1995, Dawn of Glory. And Dawn of Glory is like a heavy metal slash power metal album. Now, all your kind of, like, all the kind of oddness aside, I really like Dawn of Glory, especially like the first half of it. I think it's a really decent album. And actually, you can see some kind of, like, some ideas from the previous band sort of carry over. Or previous band, I mean, it's still the same band, still under the same name. But you see, hear things from the previous album carry over. Like, it still has that massive bass-heavy groove-infused riffing, but now we have, like, a more bombastic clean singer rather than a kind of particularly harsh one. Some of the some of the stuff's gone, like, the lyrical themes have just become all about uh, Vikings. Although there's a weird synergy in the album covers. Like, the album covers this is kind of rubbish, but that old sigil from the previous one is referenced in the background of it. Kind of decayed and crumbling, though. I don't know if there's some... Uh, some uh, weirdness going on there, some reference, but they've changed the logo and it still looks rubbish. But yeah, like Dawn of Glory, uh, don't be put off purely by being power metal. It's still quite an aggressive take on power metal. We haven't got massive like Yamaha key leads over the top of this. This is still fast to the point heavy music. Where, uh, when it gets into the lead sections, they are flashy and ridiculous. But there's some great stuff thrown in there. Like the opening track, Son of Earth, rather than having a big guitar solo, has this ridiculously fast bass lead because their bass player was so damn good. And he still has that huge bass sound he had from, um, from the previous album. I would be less critical of this direction change, though, if... If they'd stuck the landing a bit more, it's um so it's only a half hour long album, and the last kind of four tracks drag a bit. If it was all as strong as the first three songs, which are absolutely brilliant, I would be singing the praises of this album a lot more. It's still really worth checking out, um, and it, it like an interesting artifact of a band sort of um completely sort of changing direction and actually doing all right with it. But interestingly enough, their Prodigal Son had kind of a not too much of a critical reception. They seemed to pass under the radar, and what fans they had made were just furious with Dawn of Glory, apparently, and it caused the band to pretty much immediately break up after it coming out, which is a shame. It's kind of a uh, short-lived act, and and actually most of the members didn't go on to do all that much else. Uh, one guy. Uh, uh, Justin Carlson, the uh, one of the lead guitarists, um, is still in general surgery to this day. Other than that, yeah, not a lot of them have been in a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, another band that ended up with members going on to general surgery. But yeah, definitely a two-album run that's well worth checking out.
Something I forgot to mention with Afflicted, when I was getting ready to record this episode, I was going through my collection of recent CDs, because this is mostly born out of, I kind of went a bit mad over lockdown buying uh, rare albums off Discogs for it, and now I'm just showing you, showing off my collection, essentially. With Prodigal Son, I was like, I really want to play a track of it, but it's too expensive. Like, it, you know, it's, it's a lot of money on Discogs. I don't think I can bring myself to buy a copy, so I've been listening to it on YouTube for a while pick up my cds i already have a copy i ordered and somehow didn't notice so almost ended up with two copies of a really expensive album um yeah you know you get into a bit of a problem place of collecting when that happens to you so let's get us away from sweden with this next one and go back in time a little this is Hellwitch with their debut Sezegil Miscreancy from 1990. So these guys were going for quite a while ahead of their debut, a fair few demos, um, I think been going since like, 84. And putting them in a death metal episode is probably stretching this. This is closer to uh, thrash metal, but it's a very technical, aggressive style of thrash metal. And despite its incredibly short runtime of 25 minutes, this album is it's a bit of a beast. It's only six songs proper, but there is, like, it is one of those albums that has so many, like, oh my god, what just happened there moments in it. They're, the band are a three-piece um, led by Pat Ranieri on guitars. He's credited with lead, rhythm, and 12-string guitar and vocals on this. And then he's got a bass player and drummer with him. So the sound has this kind of... Um, it's not as kind of thick and heavy as you'd expect from this kind of sound because it's recorded primarily with one, like, one guitar part live in mind, I assume. But there is so much brilliant stuff on this album. Like, Pat is the real standout. His vocal performance is utterly unhinged. It, it's definitely more of a thrash vocal than a death metal vocal. But he throws in all these ridiculously odd screams. Like, I don't know how he'd ever replicate this performance. It's so kind of bizarre and all over the place. And his guitar work sort of follows that as well. There's a lot of standard, you know fast chuggy sections as you would expect from Frash but so much of the guitar work is utterly bizarre you get these ridiculous lead passages and any even stuff like say the intro to um uh the third track viral exigence um is this kind of really strange sound which sounds like the guitar's not plugged in properly but may turned into like a cool rhythmic pattern the, the leads on this are absolutely brilliant and yeah as i say the, the vocal the vocal and lead work is a sort of um real standout but there is like the drumming and bass playing is absolutely furious as well like this album gets away with its short runtime because it has such an intense pace to it but they keep sort of pulling back and having interesting moments like really fast section then something weird so we'll start a track for uh sentient transmography we get this great like long section of it sounds like like this kind of overlaid two guitar tapping passage with a bass doing that as well but there's no drums there's nothing holding the band like tightly locked in they just you know they're just keeping time like that and then the drums sort of come in with like a really intense groove after this kind of sort of melodic odd technical uh, moment ahead of times uh, it's just a really strange creative album um 
I have no idea like what they're getting at with most the lyrics as the title like I don't know what the first <laughs> Sizegil miscreancy the title I don't know what that means um and most the songs have a similar kind of I have no idea what they're talking about uh pyrophoric seizures or I think that's that's the word yeah there's lots of really um <laughs> sort of dropping of very long words and I'm not sure if they're using them correctly or not track five uh more derivial dissemination um has some very interesting moments in it there's this uh, it starts off the whole first the song first half of the song being over this like very militaristic like snare roll kind of beat and then has the kind of thrashy middle section but then has this absolutely beautiful sort of acoustic lead passage to end out the track and then we just get the the final two songs cap it off with some more of the kind of aggressive heavy style we got from earlier tracks like Nosferatu um it, I get the impression like some of this was really done on the budget like the album cover is very of its time um this weird like devil's head flying through space and the, the band's logo is is pretty odd it all looks uh very like hand thrown together complete with like the really odd like choice of type font on the back but it's like this doesn't detract from it being a really fascinating um fascinating artifact especially from 1990 this is certainly although like late to the thrash scene certainly doing something kind of new with it sadly the band didn't go on to do a great deal more for a while so they put out one more ep after this split up in 98 um and then reformed in 2004 and put out an ep and a new album um omnipotent convocation yet more of the weird words um I wasn't so into the newer album, but I know listener Michael Tote is quite a big fan of it. So if you enjoy this, give that a go because it's it's 20 years on, so obviously a hell of a lot has changed. But it does keep the the classic stuff from the debut of Pat being a ridiculously varied vocalist and a very, very creative lead guitarist.
track there in comparison to the the Swedish death metal stuff. I forgot quite how over the top it was, and possibly under undersold the drumming and bass playing ability in that. Both those musicians are, are absolutely top notch. They're just is slightly less front and center in the mix. So complete change of uh, direction stylistically. Going next with Mythic uh, with their 1993 EP Morning in the Winter Solstice. So Mythic were very sort of short-lived band. I believe their, their EP was all, was released like posthumously as well. Like the band only really active for about two years. Notable for being a three-piece death doom band with three women in the lineup and no men which for the early 90s definitely they seem to be one of the earliest like all women death metal bands uh the reason this is such a change in direction from hell which is because on this ep and actually all their material they get super slow and heavy like this um this ep has this really gnarly bass heavy like the snare drum sound as well is absolutely massive on it um and coupled with um dana duffy's super low guttural so yeah we have mary bielik playing bass um uh terry hagan on drums and uh, dana duffy on guitar and vocals they like the whole thing is based around this super low super kind of um yeah bass heavy kind of sound like everything in this is bass the the vocals are like this monstrous low rumble i i really love the sound of this like they they definitely speed up in places like there's there's a reason this is death doom not straight up doom metal i think the shorter song structures lean to that as well sadly it does mean with this ep you only get 13 minutes of music but that opening track winter solstice is absolutely crushing and the the ep goes on in that way it they're one of those bands like i think it will forever be disappointing we only have about like 45 minutes of music from their the their first rehearsal tapes kind of all right and the immortal realm demo from 91 i really like um, and you can now get it in this really cool anthology collection, which is why I'm finally able to cover them. I've been wanting to do that for years. Um, so yeah, the, you can get hold of like all, all their material now. But yeah, just sadly, like one of those really short-lived projects. Um, like if you want to hear a bit more of a in-depth dive into this band, um, Heavy Hole recently interviewed uh, Mary Bielik, their bass player, who of the group was definitely the the most sort of musically active. Um, both her and the drummer were also um, in Dracata, although she she had a longer time with the band. Dracata being a band similar style um, and similarly another like all women band who like never quite got off the ground in the nineties, but were able to reform and put out a full length, the excellent In Death We Meet in two thousand and twelve. So yeah, like a really cool kind of related project. But I think for like an amazing artifact at a point in time, this this mythic EP is so worth worth hearing. Because again, like this point in time, I, I think this kind of Death Doom sound was quite new. I think that I think they were into something kind of quite original with this. Like there is elements of stuff like Winter and Ferragothan in there, but not quite as drawn out as either of those projects. I like this kind of take of doing incredibly doomy, kind of apocalyptic, low-end sounding stuff without feeling the need to make any riff, like, overstay its welcome. I just, yeah, I will always, 
always wish they'd managed to hold the band together long enough to make like a full length album. Also, uh, digging around on Metal Archives, I've uh, just discovered uh, Dana Duffy went on to play guitar and do vocals for a black metal band called Demonic Christ, who put out um, an album in 1995 called Punishment for Ignorance with um, John Vassano on guitar and vocals. Uh, John Vassano, the massive beefcake bass player who was briefly in Nile. So definitely one for me to check out after this episode. similar time period but this time the Netherlands. This is Acrostition with their debut album Engraved in Black. So Acrostition are a yet another kind of death metal slash death doom band although I'd say leaning closer to the death metal side of things who um, seem to be running for a while apparently since uh, back in 89 um, with a few interesting kind of EPs and demos. The one I particularly kind of want to get hold of now is there's the Where Is Your God Now split with Sinister and Gorefest, both for very early on in their careers, which, yeah, it seems like a really interesting artefact. Uh, but yeah, their debut album, Engraved in Black, is this really solid-sounding um, death metal album. It starts in... Um, like really furious fashion with the immolation of the agnostic sort of switching between these quite kind of like death thrashy riffs and these more kind of slow doomy passages all with um uh vocalist uh corinne doing this amazing kind of like sort of like low but clear growls like again a another like rare for this time period i think like female vocalist who is just awesomely kind of guttural and uh heavy but i like there's like there's an element of tone to her voice i, I think she i think her vocal performance is really interesting although i could see maybe it'd be slightly divisive it's certainly outside the norm but engraved in black is this really solidly put together album the the band have like especially like the opener and there's a few other moments in the album they go for like slightly longer song structures because they just seem to be throwing like a hell of a lot of of riffs in at any given moment. Like the 
there's great build-ups to solos. The two guitarists in this album, Joss and Richard, are incredibly gifted. I'm not sure if they're both playing the leads, but they are really competent. It's not like Hell Witch. It's not that kind of quite experimental. DC, DC is probably more by the numbers death metal, but it is very well pulled off. And... Um, I don't know quite how they got hold of him, but they have Colin Richardson um, doing the production for this album. Most famous, you know, working with bands like Carcass and Bolt Thrower in their early years. Like, he was sort of the earache guy very early on. Uh, although, actually, also worked on uh, Fear Factory's Demanufacture. And he's given this album a really nice heft to it. Like, the, I guess 93, we're getting into the later years of death metal, but... By this time, they'd really got the hang of getting that really chunky sound. Like, the bass and drums are really full. The detuned guitars don't seem to have lost anything in being detuned. It's not it's not sort of muddy like um, uh, Crematory's kind of demo sound. This is really, really polished. Uh, the only thing that really lets it down, and I think maybe why it's sort of on this list more than anything else, is um, just really dodgy album cover <laughs> like the album cover looks like kind of a reject like sort of bit of art from like a sandman comic or something like that it just doesn't but like going for that style and totally missing it like that yeah uh it just doesn't quite work the band would do a fair amount more after this to put out another ep and another album before breaking up other members went on to uh form the, the Death Thrash band Outburst, although they have, as 2009, sort of uh, reformed for a couple of a couple of live shows. Like, they're technically an active band, but I think they're active in as much as they just play some gigs every so often, which is kind of cool. Um, Memento Mori have reissued the, the album Engraved in Black, and it's got, um, it's got the whole of the dehumanized demo on it which is the 1991 demo they put out just before um just before this album sadly it's not like one of those ridiculous reissues because i'd like to hit like i've never heard the the previous ep lost in remembrance or or as i say that that kind of split or any of their other um <laughs> any of their other demos interestingly they have two demos called uh epilogue is their first one from 89 and then prologue from 1990 which is an interesting naming choice but yeah, like, this is fairly by the numbers, but I think, like, it's sold on that really structurally decent, um, like, songwriting, like, keeping the structures quite interesting. The, the, vo the, the kind of, um, the vocals are great, but the lyrics are sort of nothing particularly out there for the time, your standard, uh, gore, death, warfare, but overall like a really really decent um album and definitely if you've never delved into the netherlands scene there's a hell of a lot of really good death metal there and i think that's the next one i think's gonna ha have to be a revival of because we've we've done the massive influence in sweden about you know 10 years ago five years ago finland got really big i think the forgotten like netherlands scene is the next one to suddenly get some attention because this is hardly like a blip in that scene something like this high quality there was a lot of this around at the time um and yeah more so than just your kind of like phantology and gore fest
I realised in that last clip I said Fanatology instead of Thanatos. Uh, Fanatology, recent Mexican grind band. Thanatos, Netherlands death metal band. Right. <laughs> Made a bit of an error there. Uh, anyway, next time we're covering one more for the great like low female vocalist from this kind of early 90s era. This is Asmondina with their only album 1997's Inferno. So the reason this band are famous, very simply, is uh, they were Angela Gosso of Arch Enemy fame's uh, first band. And I've been wanting to get hold of this for ages. And the other day, um, it appeared on Bandcamp as a sort of reissue of it with all three of their demos attached. So this this great kind of like 70 minute long, actually not 70 minutes, on almost 90 minute long kind of epic with all the material this band ever covered uh, collected together. So, whereas um, later on, like, Angela would obviously go on to play on some extremely melodic music, this is far closer to, I think, the stuff that originally influenced her. This is a really kind of heavy, brutal death metal band. I guess it's not truly brutal, but it like that is the, the kind of more towards that sound than it is anything you would imagine like wages of sin onwards uh at this point in time angela's voice is quite different i i wouldn't recognize it as her and i think some of that's to do with like technique things i know she did a voicing on the first arch enemy tour and had to drop out of it halfway through or first arch enemy tour she did the band i should say because the technique was dodgy but she did sound better when her technique was dodgy. Like, on Inferno, her voice sounds absolutely brilliant. She's doing a lot more kind of interesting stuff with it, whereas in Arch Enemy, I feel she very much got into, like, a safe groove of it. I've always really liked her vocals with that band, but they're quite predictable, whereas this, there's a lot more kind of interesting. She goes for some more intense lows and, yeah, just a few, like, slightly different approaches. Um... This was a five-piece band, though, but none of the other members really went on to a great deal. But that shouldn't take away from their performances on this. Like, this album is really solidly played. It's nothing massively technical on it, but it's it's fairly creative. There's um, What I quite like about it, actually, is they sort of avoid going for a guitar solo as their middle eight in every track and throw in some interesting stuff like... Blood has these interesting, like, clean tone guitar uh, passages that sort of come in and out of the, the runtime. Um, and even the intro, Forgotten Tears, has these big, like, synth stabs over th this kind of core of a, like, very groove driven, like, hefty, down tuned death metal. And, you know, we're into 97 now, so. Obviously, it's past when most people were really giving much of a shit about death metal, but studios did know how to capture it. So, much like um, the band we were talking about before, like it has a really great heft to the guitars. Um, the drums are a bit off. Like, there's something about the kick drum sound that's a bit kind of wet and fudding. Like it, it doesn't sound quite right. But that's uh, a minor criticism. I do really really like the the tone of this album uh, the one thing i can never get past with it is the really odd choice to use like uh, an artist's drawing of angela's face on the cover as like her sort of normal face in the center of this geiger like image with all these spikes going into it it's just it's just really strange i guess like conceptually it sounds like it could be quite cool but 
yeah, it's it's just very odd. And it, and it sort of that thing of if they didn't have a woman singer, would they have tried that? Like if that wasn't a notable thing about the band, I don't know. But all that aside, like if this was an artifact and she hadn't gone on to a more successful band, I still think this stands as a really good death metal album from from this time period. It's it's really kind of groovy and memorable throughout. At seven tracks, it certainly doesn't outstay its welcome. And as I say, they throw in a lot of elements to vary things up. And the guys, like, when it comes to it, can really play. Like, the track Another Golgotha has some proper shredding guitar work in it. It's just, they save that for for the, the moments where... Um, where like things really get intense. So annoyingly, um, because this came out sort of, I think like a day before I was recording this, um, I've not got through it enough to, uh, I've not gone on to any of the demos yet. I've only listened to the main thing. So maybe I'll have to report back at, um, at another time, like whether they were of any quality. Now, what we just need is someone to re-release all the mistress stuff, which is the short-lived project uh, Angela and uh, Mike from this band uh, went on to which only put out like three demos and split up as she she goes off to um to to join Arch Enemy um with guitarist Mike uh joining the short-lived band Devil in the Details who yeah went on to be like a groove stoner outfit so like, Mistress I've never managed managed to hear obviously not to be confused with the British Mistress which is the Anal Mathrex guys like grind project. Yeah, very. <laughs> I'm pretty just confusing things for her. But yeah, so th this band was uh, Asmondina, and the album is 97's Infernal. And I think if you just stick all that into Bandcamp, you should be able to find that sort of re-release of it. I'm hoping I'm not plugging some sort of illegal rip of it, but it looked it looked really official, and uh, especially containing all the demos was yeah a really cool surprise. There.
up we have a band that probably in hindsight would have been a good pairing with um, Hellwitch, but I am going to struggle with this one a bit. So these guys um, put out one album in 1993 and that's all they ever did. And the name is the Russian word for Viper or Aspid and the album is called Extraversation. So um, it's going to be a difficult one because I don't know how to say three of the characters in the band's actual name. So it's going to make it quite hard for anyone to Google this one afterwards. Um, basically, I'll put it in the show notes. And if you can't see the show notes, send me an email because it's a really cool album. and I do want to plug the hell out of it. But for the time being, I'll call them Viper and maybe put some more thought in how to uh, share the name proper. Much like um, the previous band. These guys' stuff is is now being re-released on Bandcamp, so it's actually quite straightforward to get hold of. And it's yet second one in this episode that was a um, first plugged, I think, on Heavy Hole Podcast by uh, by Tom. I think uh, found this one years ago, like very early on in that show's uh, runtime. So yeah, I should probably up my Patreon subscription to those guys. I do want to state I already knew about Mythic before they covered them, though. For some reason, that is important for me to mention. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so with this band, they are a four-piece doing an incredibly technical variation on kind of death thrash. Possibly much like Hellwitch, leaning more to the thrash than death metal. But I feel they're an acceptable inclusion in this. I, I don't think fans of death metal would have an issue with this album. And realistically, if you're playing something thrashy in 1993, you need to be bringing something pretty special to the game. And these guys were. They... They were playing at a ridiculously intense level. Um, like, the guitar and bass work... Oh, sorry, drum and bass work, I should say, on this album is um, ridiculous. Like, the bass playing is so complex, um, tight, like, just really massive sounding as well. Probably, like, you know, similarish kind of sound and ability to the like what we heard on Prodigal Son, but with this just way faster. This album is so incredibly fast. Um, like, drummer Vasily Shapovlova is, um, is, is really, really quick on this and remains incredibly interesting throughout. Interestingly, they've got a, a separate um, vocalist and guitarist, so there's only one guitar on this, which means, like... A lot of the way through, like the sound is a bit thinner, and the the bass and drums have to cover that lack of a second guitar part a lot of the time. But it absolutely works. And actually, I like how in the riffs the guitar takes more of a back seat, just doing the often the slightly more simplistic part. Because when it comes to the solo, uh, uh, Alexander Sidirovich is going to melt your face. And the solos on this album are. They are, they are something else. They're unlike Hellwitch, they're not hyper experimental, they're quite traditional, but my god, are they technically uh proficient. Yeah, absolutely ludicrous playing. Um vocalist uh Vitali is fine. He's is your standard kind of growled thrash singer. Like the the interesting thing with this is the album is entirely in Russian, so um like there is an interesting sound to the vocals, even though the delivery is quite standard, like for the genre, just hearing it in a in a very different language to the standard, like English language stuff we're used to, I, I found quite 
quite interesting um, and definitely made it stand out a bit more. But yeah, sadly, this is like pretty much the only thing any of these guys seem to to seem to have done at least according to Metal Archives. I don't know whether whether maybe they switched to other genres. I mean, they're certainly good enough. I imagine they can um, they could play all sorts of stuff. Uh, like yeah, they really really competent uh, unbelievably so like, there's a lot of things that's very rough around the edges uh, about this album but i think a lot of that comes from being in russia rather than like in the states where they're used to doing a lot of this i I'm, i must say i'm very ignorant of the the russian extreme metal scene in the early 90s i don't know whether this is is a blip or if there's a lot of stuff like this but uh like the the album cover is this um actually like the album cover is kind of really good but it it looks like a very hand-painted image of this, like, blood-covered uh, snake's head, like, completely overwrought snake's head on a giant pile of skulls. Again, another one where it's quite a cool cover, lapped down by a really dodgy logo. Um, uh, yeah, the, the Russian font for it is capital A-C, and then something that looks like a lowercase n, then a capital N, then a weird squiggly A. So, if you've got any way to recreate that. Otherwise... Um, this is out on Metal Race Records, and I think if you look for Metal Race Records on Bandcamp, you might be able to find their version of this they put out. Um, featuring as well, the band, um, uh, much like uh, Acrostition earlier, they they reformed in um, uh, 2010 to, to do some live stuff. So there's a... There's, a um, two, there's an additional song from 2010 on there, although seemingly split up again quite soon after that so yeah like at least they came back to let us actually pick up this album because it really is something else like i can't i can't overstate uh, the the quality of the performances i absolutely amazed by the by the rhythm section on this and th that incredible thing of having a rhythm section this good and seeing that they never really did um never really went on to a great deal a great deal else Yeah. 
there for part one. But uh, while I'm on the subject of sort of talking about other podcasts, uh, plugs heavy hold enough. If you want to get these recommendations in a more timely fashion, just listen to that podcast because they know what they're talking about more than me, apparently. Um, But yeah, another podcast related thing. Um, So for a couple of years now, I've been part of Into the Combine's Patreon. Um, Into the Combine have this sort of backstage lounge on Facebook and Discord, which is like been a really nice community of other metalheads like just one of the friendliest environments i've found for for metal discussion and yeah i've got a hell of a lot of interesting recommendations especially from like the current year and out of that one of the one of the guys in that group uh, rich has put out a debut solo album in the last couple of weeks actually from his project blood rust and the album is called burning of aeons and it fits really well with this this episode because it's just an absolutely excellently pulled off death thrash album and all the more special for being like a a one-man project so at its core this is this is your your kind of um i'd say fairly kind of typical for the genre there's like some of the crown in there some of like it kind of has that hail of bullets like ed warby sort of um pacing to the drumming i found find in a lot of it i believe the drums are programmed but you know you can do amazing things with programmed drums in uh in 2020 and they they have a massive kind of heft and weight to them and this whole album actually like the 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 work he's put into getting the guitar tone bass tone right really shows because like it's something that grabbed me straight away like as soon as the opening riffs to jackals kicked off i was like yeah this is this is what i want to hear from the genre this really kind of tight heavy full sound and the album is just like half an hour of wall-to-wall great riffing the uh, vocal delivery is quite interesting actually he's got a fairly unique take on the the vocals of the genre of they they're quite um they're, they're kind of this low interesting like snarl like it's more it's not the most like direct kind of punishing vocal approach it's actually kind of more subtle and evil sounding and i i think that really adds something definitely uh makes it slightly atypical his grasp of guitar is obviously excellent like the guitar work i i thought was absolutely fantastic on this there there is a load there is a lot of care and attention taken on the lead guitar elements of this i can tell a huge amount has gone into the composition of the solos um but yeah they're just really well put together like really technical like fast pick stuff but then just dropping in dive bombs right when the the sort of the riff requires it which i I really like because it keeps it in that that true vein of death thrash of the whole album start to finish is just fast groovy pummeling riffs and it's exactly what you want from the genre and as, as i mentioned with that that great production and tone to it it's just really well put together i've just noticed on the band camp there is actually an additional person d thompson is credited with additional guitar bass and solos but that doesn't detract from it this is an incredibly well put together album and i think like something as well would just because there's been so much care and attention put into getting a really great mix and a tone for it, it it has so much sort of appeal for the genre and just yeah, really solidly written. Right, so I think that wraps it up for this episode. Um, 
if you want to get in touch and recommend me any more kind of odd uh, obscure death metal bands from well any period in time uh please get in touch it's uh phil's breakfast metal on twitter at breakfast sorry phil's breakfast metal on facebook at breakfast metal on twitter or phil's breakfast metal at gmail.com if you you want to get get in touch via via email yeah um i've got a whole pile of cds in front of me so i'm probably just going to keep recording these these episodes until i get through all of those so i hope you like the style there'll probably be a few more in this vein although we're gonna um rob's joining me to do an end of the year wrap up at some point as well so yeah uh we'll see see quite how that all folds in with the release schedule but anyway uh thanks a lot for listening